You're listening to the Peacock and Williamson NFL Show, your daily podcast on the National Football League, powered by the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Peacock and Williamson NFL Show, Wednesday edition. We've got more pro days, extra pro days. Justin Fields at Ohio State today, a number of teams looking at him. The NFL trying to figure out what they want to do with the voluntary offseason workout programs. And we're doing position-by-position NFL draft breakdowns. We're talking offensive linemen on today's program, offensive tackles specifically at BD Peacock on Twitter is where you can find me. Matt is a must follow at Williamson in FL. Let's start with the league news and the offseason programs that are going to be getting going. There's usually one pre-draft and then after the draft, you start having rookie mini camps and, and OTAs and you're kind of off and running for a bit. And then uh, there's a big gap and then training camp starts. But last year, obviously, with COVID, the entire offseason was virtual. And it sounds like there is a push for that to happen once again. First, I'll start with the NFL's statement. This is through Tom Pelissero saying that the NFL has informed clubs that any team employee who refuses a COVID-19 vaccination without a, quote, bona fide medical or religious ground, end quote, will be barred from tier one or tier two status and thus have restricted access within the team facility and not work directly with players per Sources And there's a huge memo that I'm not going to get into that uh, the, the league sent to teams about that. And then there was a statement from the NFLPA on behalf of Denver Broncos players saying, quote, playing in the NFL is a dream of our players who work tirelessly year round to perform in America's greatest game with the offseason program starting in less than a week and without adequate protocols in place in order for us for players to return safely. We will be exercising our right to not participate in voluntary off-season workouts. COVID-19 remains a serious threat to our families and to our communities, and it makes no sense for us as a player to put ourselves at risk during this dead period. Positivity rates in our city are higher than they were at this time last year, and we know players have been infected at club facilities in recent weeks. Despite having a completely virtual offseason last year, the quality of play across the NFL was better than ever by almost every measure. We hope players across the NFL work with our union as we did to get all the facts so every player can make an informed decision. So it sounds like there's going to be more teams and more players that are going to opt out of the voluntary camps that are happening around the league and Matt, maybe we are on our way toward another virtual offseason. I kind of hope not. Uh, I mean, we know that the vaccines are coming in like crazy. Um, and if people refuse them, so be it. If that's not what they want to do to their body, I understand. But uh, you know, the first thing you read there was the NFL isn't going to let you deal with players. If you choose to not get vaccinated. Um, the key word, I guess, in everything you just said there is voluntary. So we're in the voluntary stage. You don't feel comfortable. Cool. You know, they really should be voluntary, although they're back in the day, we're kind of, you know, not so voluntary. You're kind of pressured to do yeah. it. Um, I don't want to hear this in training camp, though. I mean, just being a selfish um, football analyst and fan. I really want a normal training camp. These mini camps and voluntary workouts and pre-draft stuff. I think you can get a lot done with the veterans in particular on Zoom meetings. You know, hey, we have a new offensive coordinator. We're going to call plays differently. We, you know, I want you to learn the verbiage. But most of the teams don't even need that. You know, that 
these guys are pros. They're keeping themselves in shape, but I want to camp. Yes, and I think it's important to have training camp in, in that aspect of things starting in July. Look, we're three months away. There's plenty of time for vaccinations to happen. And when you put those mm-hmm. two statements together, you realize, okay, the league sees this as well and wants as many people around the league in facilities, players, teams, coaches, everybody vaccinated so that we can have a training camp and things can be somewhat back to normal in the July area. So I think that's the target. Everything up to then can be virtual, but July is the is pretty obviously the deadline to where the league is probably hoping and teams are definitely hoping that things can be in a normal state to have training camp and then preseason and then be rolling into the regular season and have fans in the seats. Yeah, and I guess the next hurdle, if, if, if a lot of the voluntary ones are going to get opted out or, or virtually, Right after the draft is those rookie mini camps, though, and uh, they're valuable to the rookies, yeah. you know, and, and not to mention all the undrafted guys trying to make a name for himself before the, the the vets get in there and take all the reps. I mean, you get a chance to kind of make an early impression. So I hope we get those too to some degree. And I wonder how the Broncos organization feels about it, too, because that was the, the NFL Players Association on behalf of Broncos players. But I didn't really put it together when I first saw that statement. But then I realized later, yeah, the Broncos were that team last year. They got wiped out at quarterback and had Kendall Hinton, the wide receiver, have to start a game at QB. Uh, that that was yeah. something that obviously that organization probably wants to avoid, whether it's in, in camp or actually when the season starts. So they have probably a little bit of extra perspective on the whole COVID thing. Yeah, and I, I think you kind of mentioned this earlier. If we have to sacrifice live, you know, voluntaries and maybe even rookie mini camps and some mini camp stuff to ensure that everybody is vaccinated, everyone is comfortable for camp, so be it. But I'm hoping we see some actual football before training camp too. And it's amazing how fast everyone is getting vaccinated. And me, as someone who's yeah. not in any category that needed some early vaccination, I actually have my appointment now already. So things are in, in California uh, mid. April here are opening up to everybody to just get vaccinated. So it's happening quickly. And I think in three months time with as fast of thing, as things have already gone with vaccinations, I think we'll be pretty in pretty good shape. I think NFL wise for the NFL calendar to start camp. I would assume so. I mean, I got mine two weeks ago. I get my final one two weeks from now. And trust me, I felt like an old man there at 47 years old. There's a bunch of 20 year olds and teenagers and people that were look like they were in perfect health. And they just, I, you're going to get yours coming up. It was an assembly line. It was in a very efficient process. You just followed these arrows, sat down, got a needle stuck in you, sat down for 15 minutes, come back in a month. Boom. Next, next, next. I mean, they're knocking them out. I want to shift gears here really quick, Matt, and talk about the pro days that are happening, the the secondary pro days now with Justin Fields and Trey Lance in uh, more and more teams, it looks like, are signing up and are going to be there in person. I find it fascinating which teams are going to be at Justin Fields Pro Day today that is happening in Columbus, Ohio. It's going to be run by the Ohio State coaching staff, some sort of coaching staff there. I'm not sure. John Beck okay. has been training Justin Fields is not going to run this one as he did last time, but I think he put some stuff in place for it. And as I understand, the teams that are there were had input in what exactly we're going to see here. So it's not a private workout, but it's going to function sort of like a private workout would have with these teams and put the things that they want to see in place for Justin Fields to do in a combination of all the teams that are there. And it was originally going to be just the 49ers, then the Patriots joined in, then the Jets. Now it's the Falcons, Panthers, Broncos. So teams picking two, three, four, eight, nine, and 15 are the teams confirmed by Albert Breer this morning that will hmm. be there with uh, NFL coaches and GMs watching this workout very closely. Yeah, and I, I mean, 
it doesn't shock me, but the Browns, Bengals, Steelers, they're all two-hour drives, and they're not even there. You know, you don't, you don't even send your quarterback coach for a two-hour ride to go check these out. You know, I mean, in Columbus, I and mean, nothing's close to North Dakota. But, I mean, just in terms of you'd rather have the quarterback coach in the office for draft meetings than to even send them, it, it really implies to me, to your point, that these are workouts for specific teams. Hey, Atlanta, what do you want to see? You know, we we put what we wanted in our first pro day to make Justin look as good as possible, but we didn't see enough deep outs. Can you throw 10 more deep outs for us with the opposite hash or whatever? I mean, the one thing that really comes to mind is I guarantee you Trey Lance runs in this one. I, I bet he will. Yeah, I bet he yeah. will. He wants to put that time down. This is a competition now. You get this extra, uh, extra, uh, and it's too bad it's not going to be televised or anything like that. I bet we'll see some enterprising reporters there with some video on it, but it's not going to be on the NFL Network as the other workouts were. So uh, that, that's interesting that the teams are there and the teams that are not there. So those are all the teams that you would think would be looking at a quarterback in the top 15, but no Washington, no Chicago. No Washington, no Chicago. That, that is a little interesting. I mean, you would think you'd at least want to gather a little more information, and maybe we don't have the the total extensive list. I do find it interesting that Carolina was one of them, and we've brought this up a couple times. If Lance or Fields were sitting there for the Panthers pick, I would not condemn them at all for using it on a quarterback. How about this one, though? New York Jets. We're supposed to yeah. already know who they're going to take it to, right? But they're spending time away from their draft board. They've got a lot of other picks and a lot of other rounds to get things straight, and they're making a trip to see Justin Fields for a second time at Ohio State? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's due diligence. I mean, it, it, it blows me away. And this guy, I mean, you and I could talk Niners at three for hours and hours, and I know you know we've talked about it a lot. I just think that they those top three teams – half the 99% know who they're taking. I imagine that San Fran could be persuaded to go away from whoever that is, or they loved four of these players and just knew if they got the three, they'd get one of them, you know? I mean, so I, I guess I can buy that. And again, to your point, you've mentioned many times, which I 100% agree with, I would never trade up the three for Mac Jones. Yeah, it, I don't want to get too deep in the, the Niners-specific right. stuff. Um, there, there are a couple Opening listeners that are mad here. about that. So, But the, the thing for me is just completing the evaluation because this is for some teams, because of how COVID has changed things, no combine, no personal workouts. It, it, I find it hard to believe that a, a team and a head coach and a GM would draft a player they've literally never met and never seen. And Kyle Shanahan sure. has already coached a high school version of Justin Fields, so they know each other, which is one of the, the personal connections I think nobody's talking about that might lead me to believe that Justin Fields would be the pick for the Niners. But some of the other teams, like the Falcons, have the Falcons met Justin Fields? Have they seen him live and in person? Uh, the Patriots, if they're thinking about making a move for a, a player, you want to check that box. You want to at least see the guy throw live, see him work and move around in person, meet the guy, shake his hand, maybe say hi to him before you spend that much draft capital on a player. I'm glad you brought that up because I meant to earlier and I used the example of, hey, we want to see more out routes. We want to see more deep posts or comebacks or whatever. And that might be true, but maybe more so than any of it is kind of what you mentioned is I want to be in the same room as the kid in the same building. I want to stand 20 feet away from him. Maybe get a chance to pull him off to the side for 15 minutes and chat with them and be around this person that's going to be the face of my billion dollar, or, you know, uh, 
corporation. So much rides on this. And especially if you're trading up to draft a guy, you want all the information you can gather and you want all the data points that make you feel good about a decision like that. Um, but the 49ers made the trade before they had the complete picture with these guys, which yeah, is totally yeah. fascinating and it, it's wild. So anyway, uh, let's talk offensive linemen. Last note I want to throw okay. out. If you're Atlanta and you have no intentions of taking either quarterback, you still got to go and act interested. I was asked that question on the 49ers show and someone said, well, why are the Falcons going? They think the 49ers are going to pass on fields. Do they love fields? And I was thinking, oh, the, the Falcons are the best team to go because they, they want to teams yeah. to call them at four. They want to, they, they could either be interested or not, but they want teams calling them. So that's absolutely why the Falcons would be there. It's a smart move on their part, playing the draft yeah. game. Yeah, even if they don't have no interest in a quarterback, if they're sticking to four and taking Kyle Pitts, you got to go. Offensive linemen, rankings, offensive tackles, next. Do you want 15% off your next order at BuiltBar.com? Well, listen up, and I'll tell you how you can get Tasty Treat, a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Right now, I'm staring at a box of Built Bars that I built myself. You can mix and match three flavors. I love the peanut butter. I also wanted to try some other flavors, so I went with toffee almond and one of the six new flavors, cookies and cream. 130 calories in the cookies and cream flavor. 17 grams of protein, only 4 grams of sugar. It is fantastic. Other new flavors like caramel brownie, cherry barcia, Lemon Almond Cheesecake, Carrot Cake, Apple Almond Crisp to go with their 12 original flavors. My favorite is peanut butter that I always talk about. Bars are covered in, this is the best part, 100% chocolate, not a brown colored flavored chocolate weird coating. It's legit chocolate. So get some yourself at 15% off with promo code LOCKED15. That's LOCKED15 for 15% off your next box of Built Bars at BuiltBar.com. It's almost here. The biggest event on the network every offseason. Matt and I hosting, once again, the Ultimate Mock Draft. April 19th through 26th, listen to the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 featuring analysis from NFL experts Michael Irvin, Jason LaConfora, and Brian Baldinger are local experts for every team making trades and picking the next stars for their team. Subscribe to the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 on its own feed now, presented by Locked On and Odyssey on the new Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Odyssey is our audio home for all the sports, podcasts, music, and news that matter to you. That's Odyssey, A-U-D-A-C-Y. We're going to talk offensive tackles, Matt. One quick note, though. This is something that ran across my Twitter this morning. I had to run it by you because I thought it was funny and interesting. And there, maybe there's something to it. I don't know. Uh, this from Old Row Sports. They say, looking for your next franchise quarterback, looking at the size of their neck before drafting. And there's a chart here. <laughs> really? Neck circumference versus career passing yards. And it's pretty striking. The thickness of your neck does seem to correlate with how good quarterbacks' careers are in the NFL. And if you're wondering, yes, I do have the list Mike here. Mike Lennon comes to mind. I, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he's somebody he's he's absolutely somebody that was uh in the comments of this uh, okay. listed there but this is from uh perry young this year's class ranked by next circumference i don't know where perry's sources are where they got this but they do check those kind of things here's the list from biggest neck circumference to smallest in this year's class one trey lance two surprisingly zach wilson mm. three justin fields 
four, Trevor Lawrence, five, Sam Ellinger, six, Kyle Trask, seven, Mac Jones, eight, Kellen Mond, nine, Jamie Newman, and 10, Davis Mills. Your thoughts, Matt? <laughs> Interesting. I mean, I'm straining here to think, you know, uh, could you uh, have a little bit of thickness there and you're able to keep your eyes downfield while somebody's dragging you down? You have a little bit of extra ne- neck strength or something like that. I mean, I'm really making this up on the fly of why that would be beneficial. I know Mike Glennon's the funny one. I mean, I guess if you have a bobblehead situation, that's bad for seeing the field. But I'm sitting here looking at myself in the mirror going, I got a big, fat second chin. My neck size is pretty wide. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I mean, what if the guy's just a little, has has a little bit of a waddle, a little bit of a chub there, you know? And I would, I would think you would have to cross-reference that with maybe some our, <laughs> right. our talent too, possibly. But right, uh, I don't know. I have no idea what to think about that. But I'd like um, some historical data. Yeah. I mean, like, is Peyton Manning? I bet didn't have a big neck. Does Brady? <laughs> Manning actually, I think surprisingly, Manning had somewhat of a wide neck compared to his head. Does at he? least I'm, I'm th- okay. just thinking of what he looked like. Yeah, because he kind of yeah, he's kind of square. Yeah, from the neck it, from it ramped up, up from shoulders to head. In a, in a certain way that made me feel like that was a, a little bit of a thick neck. That's rather funny. And I, think I his, guess you don't want to bobble head around in the pocket. No. Uh, and maybe that has something to do with just how sturdy of a human being you are and, and, and lasting right, right. long enough to have career passing yards, which is the, the data point here is career passing yards. And I'm sure I mean, Manning I'm sure there's is one of these out there. I'm sure there's some doctor or, you know, physical therapist person or workout instructor going, yeah, it's super important. I mean, it's also important in wrestlers and basketball players and yeah. pitchers. And, and and I guess I could be convinced. I mean, I, you know, keep your head on straight. Well, it's funny because it's simultaneously something that I think, you know, uh, some stat dork is looking up and trying to throw out there. But I, it's it's also a very old school idea. I'm sure there's an old school yeah. scout out there that is the reason that these things are even being measured. Probably is. You can you can just picture the old burly 70-year-old scout that's been doing it for 45 years with a cigar and overweight and a ratty mustache going, I don't know, man, thin neck. I don't want him. <laughs> he might be right. I could absolutely see that guy. Yeah, I was like, look at this guy. I'm, I'm not drafting this pencil neck. No, nah, right. I mean, yeah, he's got an ugly girlfriend, too. He yeah. Have him. Oh, gosh. Single. Another one I've heard is if you're single, that's bad news. Because Bad news, you'll huh? be out more. You'll be out on the town more. Well, something like that. Okay. I mean, Joe Namath was a pretty good quarterback. Yeah. I don't know. This is, this is draft season. It just gets <laughs> it just goes off the rails, right? There's too much time. Uh, yeah, that's true. I mean, I guess if you're picking between two and that's the 83rd tiebreaker, okay. Uh, speaking of thick necks, there's a lot of them here with the offensive tackle class. Matt Penesul and Rashawn Slater have been the top two the entire time. What are your thoughts on these guys? Is it that easy? Penesul's a top five guy. Rashawn Slater's a top ten guy. One, two, move on. I think so. I mean, Slater, if he were two inches taller and with a little longer arms, maybe I think he could compete with Sewell. I just think Sewell is a special, special player that just about any draft class is the first offensive lineman off the board. I mean, go look at his highlights. I mean, people probably aren't enthralled by offensive line highlights, but the way he runs, the way he moves, his power, he's very smart with his recognition as well. 
And all those things are as a 19-year-old. If you're watching highlights of Penny Sewell, he's 19 years old. Slater's a great prospect, too. He has great hands, but tremendous, tremendous light feet. He's also very smart. And both of those players opted out of 2020, so neither has the Uh advantage there. Um, I will say one of the more fascinating little wrinkles to this draft is which player will be the first player ever drafted that was born in the 2000s, and it will be between Penny Sewell and Trey Lance, whoever's drafted first. Yep, yep, yep. They're both super young. Yeah, they're both still 20 years old. Um, And Penny Sewell... Brady Christensen, who's going to be a pretty high pick, is four years older yeah. than Sewell. Yeah, I have it right now. This on this one from Dane Brugler's Beast Draft Guide. Uh, the age as of draft day, I believe, Penny Sewell will be 20.56 years old. He was born in October of 2000. Brady Christensen will be 24 and a half years old on draft day. So right. that's, that's a massive older. difference. That's an entire college career. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, and Sewell's tape as a 19-year-old is utterly dominant. It's crazy. 6'5", 331, he ran a really good 40. He moves well at that size, too. I would say the, if, if and someone out there definitely has, and there's multiple draft analysts, too, that have Rayshon Slater above Penny Sewell, and the reason yeah. is, you know, more of a finished product, a couple years older, um, and maybe a little bit better in pass protection, but Penny Sewell's that guy that can just crush people in the run game and has so much size and athleticism. One thing, so if we're if we're picking nits here with the top guys, Penny Sewell, you would have loved, first of all, you would have loved to see both these guys play in 2020. So small sample size for Penny Sewell at Oregon. 33 and a quarter inch arms, which meets the threshold of 33 yeah. inches. It's fine. But I was expecting, you know, 34 and a half just because of his size. He's a really big guy. 331 carries a lot of extra weight, too. He's not um, he's not what you would look like. You would you would draw it up for someone that you would think would be a little bit in, you know, like Joe Thomas or um Ogden. Uh, yeah, just saying right. this maybe built more like a basketball player. He's built like an offensive lineman. He's thick and thick in the midsection. Could that age poorly? Uh, being that he's so young already at 330 pounds, but he still moves so well and he tested well too. So I think that, you know, that, that probably moves you away from some of those concerns. Doesn't look like he was built in a lab, you know, and occasionally you'll see a, a long arm pass rusher get in on his hands when you do to their arm length. But it's still hard to move 330, you know, right. with the anchor he has and the lower body strength and the ability to sit down in his protection. And who knows what he's been doing for the last year, too. I mean, how much faster, stronger is he, you know, when we actually see pads on him again? And Slater just rocks solid. I mean, and, and yeah. he helped himself, too. So he's 6'4", 300 pounds. He had the 33-inch arms. So he's an offensive tackle. A team won't worry about, oh, is he a guard? Is he not? That was a lot of the talk with him. And I think that's what's going to hurt Elijah Vera Tucker, which is why we're not going to talk about Elijah Vera Tucker today. We're going to talk about him as maybe the best guard prospect in this class. But he he meets the the length requirements that you need. He's technically sound, really rock solid player. And man, workout numbers fantastic. 488 40 yard dash. Any of these over 300 pounders breaking 5.0, that's ridiculous. It is. I mean, we see it now more than we used to. But I remember 10 years ago, if it would happen, it would be like, you know, t- the headline of the day. I mean, <laughs> right. and he runs really, really well. You know how we talked about all those little fast slot receivers in this class? Mm-hmm. This tackle class has quite a few 6'4", 32, 33-inch arms, really good athletes. There's a little bit of a trend of small fast tackles for their position too in this group that are they guards of the, I mean, Slater's a perfect example. I have no doubt he'll be a tackle, but 
Not all these guys are six six with thirty four inch arms. Yeah, uh, some interior guys that we'll talk out uh, talk about on another episode as well. A similar mm-hmm. story there. There's some very athletic, some somewhat undersized interior offensive linemen. Okay, next let's talk offensive tackles three through some of the sleepers we like in this class. And I think there's a group of guys that are going to go a lot higher than people expect. Next. Looking at the latest NFL draft props released at betonline.ag. My opinion would be wise to get in on this uh, Justin Fields 5-1 to one action at the third overall selection. Mac Jones favored there, no surprise. Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson favored at pick 1-2. and two. First defensive player selected, Patrick Sertan. But you could get some better odds on Quiddy Pay, Jalen Phillips, J.C. Horn, Micah Parsons, maybe. Could Rashawn Slater usurp Penny Sewell and become the first offensive lineman selection? What about running backs and wide receivers? You can find those props and more over-unders when all these prospects will be selected at betonline.ag. Major League Baseball, Masters Weekend, NBA, NHL, real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can Imagine, go to the website now, use promo code Locked On to sign up and receive 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. The more I look at the draft, the more I look at how almost every team in the NFL, Matt, needs an offensive lineman and specifically an offensive tackle, how important that position is around the league. Christian Derisaw from Virginia Tech, who's universally thought of as the third offensive tackle in this class. I think that his profile puts him closer to Slater and Sewell than the second group of players than most people are talking about. And 34-plus-inch arm length with his size, 6'5", 322, just prototype, height, weight, length. I don't have a 40-timer. that Those numbers on him yet. I'm not sure if he ran or will run at some other point or, or didn't run yet. Is he hurt? I haven't heard anything about that, but I just feel like Darisaw is going to go a lot higher than people expect, as will some of the other later first-round type offensive tackle prospects. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Darisaw to me could go, what are the Chargers pick 12, something like 13, that. Like yeah. I, I could see him go pretty early. You know, Soul could go to Cincy. Um, Slater could go to Carolina. And then all of a sudden teams are clamoring to get mm-hmm. Darisaw. I, I think he'll go really high. Tackles just come off the board quickly. Um, the only negative I really saw on Darisaw is some of the early games this year against, you know, weak competition. I don't want to say he didn't try hard, but he kind of had a disinterested feel to him, you know, just kind of going through the motions and mm. wasn't really challenged. Here's a name that I think is being completely slept on, which is surprising because his name has been out there for a long time and he played at a big time school at Texas. And I see him a lot in the second rounds. There's no chance that Samuel Cosme gets to the second round, in my opinion, Matt, just because no of his profile, his length and his athleticism. A team can look at him and say, yeah, we can plug him in and play left tackle. That speaks first round for me. 6'6", 314 pounds, ran a 4.85, 40-yard dash, uh, had the same 10-yard split as Rashawn Slater did. Um, you know, 33-inch arm, so he meets those requirements that teams are going to be looking for, the thresholds for an offensive tackle. And with that athleticism, you can look at him like a, you know, a Joe Staley type, a really athletic, if maybe not huge, offensive lineman, but actually showed up bigger than I thought, too, with that athleticism at 6'6". 314. So, I mean, he's not getting out of the first round. I don't think so. I mean, you talked about guys going earlier than projected. I mean, are the Colts going to pass on him if Derrissaw is gone? You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of teams that would look at a super athletic left tackle that's played quite a bit, 
Um, I was a little shocked to your point that he was 314. I mean, I, I thought that was good. I, he looked like he played around 300-ish as a, a, a staley former tight end type mm-hmm. of guy. Those guys are coveted. I mean, he can zone run, zone running game. He's going to be like I. I can't imagine there's any chance Kansas City passes at him at 31 if he'd even get that far. And that's the reason because we're talking about a tackle, specifically, you know, le- quote unquote left tackle right. ability there for Cosme. Where some of these other guys that are late first round types and early second round types, they're more. Are they a guard? Are they a right tackle? Which I think hurts them as a prospect. But you talked earlier yeah. about how people aren't necessarily excited to watch highlights of someone like Penny Sewell, Tevin Jenkins, Oklahoma State. I was oh. late to the party watching him. Oh, he buries people. He's so fun to watch. Six six three seventeen. But he's that guy. He's like, is he a right tackle? Is he uh, um, a guard? But he threw down a, a sub five oh forty. And again, these are pro days times, so maybe you add a little bit to it, but still showed off some athleticism there. I think he's going to at least get tried at tackle before any teams try to move him in at guard. And I think he'll probably stick. He has those black wild thing glasses too. You know, the, the he just looks the part of a nasty dude, kind of an oddball that just likes doing damage yeah. on the field, <laughs> sets sets the, the trend for the whole offensive line. You're right. He's a traditional right tackle. And there aren't a lot of traditional left tackles in this class, which I think helps Cosme. Maybe that helps a Walker little. But, I mean, you got to have 32 left tackles in the league. Maybe that's where he ends up. I mean, I would think he's a right tackle, but he'd be a great guard too. Then there's a group of prospects that start to get a little dirtier. I think those are the ones that, to me, I think are going to be first-round guys. Those those five names you're going to see in the first round. Then it starts to get a little bit more dicey. End round one, early round two. How do teams see these guys? Guard, left tackle, right tackle. Brady Christensen, you mentioned for BYU, is probably in that day two area. He's an older prospect, 24 and a half years old, only 32-inch arm length. I think a lot of teams are going to look at him at guard, which is probably going to hurt him in the long run, even though, you know, yeah. probably Great more, tape. more ready to plug in and play, though, soon. He never gets beat, but the poor guy has short arms and he's old. Yeah, <laughs> it's unfortunate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's unfortunate, yeah. For him, well, but he's though. pretty good. So some teams are not going to care, and they're going to draft him in the second round and probably have a starting caliber you know, left guard early in their career. A couple of small school guys that are – Fascinating for me is Dylan Radens from North Dakota State in that second round range, most likely. And he's got what, you, what you're looking for size-wise, 6'5 and a half, 301 pounds, 34-inch arm length, worked out fine and, and, you know, dominated and handled his small school competition there at North, North Dakota State. And then if you don't get him and you still want that small school guy, maybe third, fourth round area, maybe early day three you could find someone like Spencer Brown out of Northern Iowa, who's got this basketball yeah. player built, 6'8", 311 pounds, <laughs> right. but ran a 4'92 at his pro day with almost 35-inch arm length. So if you want length and you want a project that could potentially be a stud left tackle, Spencer Brown out of Northern Iowa. Yeah, I mean, and he had pretty good agility drill scores, you know, and jumps at 6'8", plus, you know, 6'8 and a quarter. Yeah, there, there's a lot of them. I, I mean, I often talk about this on the Steelers show, you know, should they take, should the Steelers take a tackle in, in the round one? And to your point, I, the answer is always yes, you know, but there are some third round projects, you know, maybe even into the fourth round. We mentioned uh, James Hudson from Cincinnati at one point, um, Spencer Brown, you mentioned the, the kid from Nebraska, Jameis. There's a lot of these dudes, the Marshall kid ball. I mean, a lot of these guys are going to turn into, you know, starters a year or two from now. 6.963 cone for Spencer Brown at six foot eight at his pro day and a sub seven. That's what you're looking for from like 
a wide receiver, right? So right, like that's, JJ Watt. That's crazy agilities for someone that long, and obviously some work really to do. Is. But uh, you know, a lot to work with there for a prospect like that. Do you have any other favorite sleepers here? We have a few minutes left to talk offensive tackles. Any any certain round from round two all the way down through round seven? Hmm. Stone Forsyth is interesting, and, and I had not heard of him. Uh, until Lance Zerline brought him up, and, and I talked to Lance recently. He likes him a lot. Another six eight guy, better in protection. Uh, Florida, uh, he's a pure tackle, of course. I think Walker Little's unbelievably interesting in, in that not only did he opt out this year, but the year before, he got hurt in the first quarter of the first game. So he hasn't played in two years was the top recruit in the country and was great until those injuries, but he's played football in two years. Yeah. I mean, if the Chiefs took him to round one, I wouldn't bat an eye. If he fell to the fourth round, I wouldn't bat an eye. I, I have nowhere, no idea where to place Walker Little. He could be there on day three. He could go in the second round, uh, to your point. Uh, it didn't work out great either. And since we no. hopped out of 2020 and you missed all of the season before with the injury, you just don't know where to place a guy like that. I just think there's too many question marks for him to go early and he could surprise once he gets to the league and what kind of player with what kind of recruit he, recruit he was early in his career at Stanford. And they recruit the heck out of good offensive linemen. So when you see someone starting early in their career at Stanford and he's still only 22 years old even after missing two seasons but uh, I just don't know where to place Walker Little and uh, I would have liked to see his workouts blow you away to make you think okay yeah that's that big time recruit that's that guy yeah. that that maybe will surprise even though he hasn't played in a while and we can work him in slowly to our offensive line but since the missing two years plus the numbers with his workouts that were fine but not fantastic that scares me on day two. So I think he might still be yeah. there in round four and it could potentially be a steal for a team. And, and why wasn't he at the senior bowl? I'm sitting here thinking like, I mean, that would have gone a long way. Just give me a week question. of practice with a helmet on blocking somebody. And was he not invited? Did he turn it down? Was he afraid of COVID? I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it seemed like that was your one opportunity to show people that, you know, to play football in the last two years and he wasn't there. So uh, that's going to take a leap of faith because his tape before the injuries, what, three years ago, was really good, you know, and there's a lot to work with there, but you just don't know what you're buying. We haven't talked about Liam Eichenberg, who I've seen in the first round of mock yeah. drafts recently, and uh, I think, in fact, you know what? I think I actually mocked him to your Pittsburgh Steelers in my original mock draft. I think I'm seeing more of a second-round profile to me with Liam Eichenberg. Is he a tackle? Is he a guard? What have you seen from him? He looks like a leadoff double to me, which is one of my draft philosophies. Like first round, just get on base, you know, a safe guy. It allows you to take more risks from that point on. I think he's going to be a solid pro. I don't think there'll be pro bowls in his future. Um, maybe he's a guard, very short arms, very small hands, but got away with it at a high level at Notre Dame on a really good offensive line, kept that tackle tradition rolling. Um, I think he'll be a good starter, but not a great one. There is your primer and some ranking. Do you, do you want to rank these really quick? Do you have a, a solid feel about what order you'd put them in? Actually, here, let me. I you do. I actually totally agree with Dane. I'm looking at that same list, and my top five would be exactly the same. Okay, I would put. I would put Raiden's much higher. I'd probably put him over Liam Eichenberg at number six for me, but I think Cosme. Yeah, maybe because his left tackle ability 
maybe a little cleaner than Tevin Jenkins, even though the more I watch Jenkins, the more I like him. I think it's really clear it's Sewell, Slater at the top, willing to swing for the fences on Sewell, then Derisaw, then it's Cosme Jenkins, depending on if you want a left tackle, right tackle, power player, yeah. prospect. Um, then for me, it's Dylan I think that's Raiden's. what you're after between right. those two because they're totally different. And that's round one, those top five guys. Then I think it's Raiden's top of round two, then maybe Eichenberg. Then... Uh, it, then it gets a little bit dicey. Braden Christensen's probably in there because of even though his age, he still profiles as a starting caliber player right away from mm-hmm. you. Then you're then you're just like flipping a coin. It's Hudson. Uh, Deontay Smith has a ton of length. Don't love it. And Spencer Brown, as I mentioned, you're 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 talking about maybe starting to take a little bit of a a leap of faith and developing a high upside type of player. Walker Little, Liam Eichenberg is maybe your your double, as you mentioned there in round two or round three. But uh, there's a clear top five developing for me. If the over-under of first-round tackles off this list, not including Vera Tucker, was five and a half, would you go under? I think there's five guaranteed, yeah. but Raddens and Eichenberg wouldn't shock me. I mean, tackles are always valued, and the Chiefs sitting there 31, if five are already gone, could make that the over. If you put the number at five and a half, I'm taking over, just because I'm so confident okay. that five are going to go, and... You know how the draft goes. Everyone gets enamored with all the fast guys. You put a bunch of wide receivers in the late part of the round, a bunch of running backs, players like that. Maybe you, you hear whispers of a quarterback, and you put Kyle Trask in there or Davis Mills in there at the end of your first round, and it just ends up being a bunch of beef at the end of the round, right? A bunch of offensive linemen, a bunch of defensive mm-hmm. linemen. So I'm going to go over on five and a half. Yeah, I mean, those five could be gone, and then you get to – Pittsburgh, Baltimore, Kansas City, Green Bay. I, I mentioned Baltimore. If they trade Orlando Brown, they could easily take one of these tackles. Absolutely. You know, some of these smart playoff teams just say, oh, you're going to give me a first-round tackle? I never get these guys. I'll take them. I mean, how about how perfect is Tevin Jenkins plug him in at right tackle trade Brown? Like, absolutely perfect. Right. Yeah. Okay. I like that. Yeah. I, I'm going to put my, Tevin Jenkins. My Steeler blood just boiled a little bit because that would be horrible. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's too perfect. Yeah. We're out of time here. Good stuff. That is the offensive <laughs> tackle class in the 2021 draft. We'll talk interior offensive linemen probably tomorrow and everything else going on around the NFL right here. Peacock and Williamson.